Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com. Hey, everybody. Emily Kwong here. Maddie Safaya too. We are hard at work on some really great new episodes. So in the meantime, we're breaking out an old episode you might have missed. That we both cherish. It really sealed our bond. I mean, Kwong, this is the episode that inspired my very first gift to you. How could I forget, Maddie Sophia? <laughs> oh, you've gotten better at that. So stick around past the end because we also have a very special announcement to share with you all. And if you haven't subscribed to or followed Shortwave yet, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, we forgive you. Especially if you go ahead and yeah. do that right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, everybody. Maddie Safai here with Shortwave reporter Emily Kwong. Hey, Maddie. Hey, you. So, Kwong, you've got a story today about the evolution of voicing. That's right. Featuring the voice of this guy, a primatologist. Hi, my name is Adriano Lemaire. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Warwick in the UK. Adriano is one of many scientists chipping away at this long-standing idea that humans are the only members of the hominid family, the great apes, mm-hmm. to possess what's known as active voicing. Okay, active voicing. Is that like my bossy voice? Uh, not exactly. Here, let me ask you, what would you do if you accidentally burned your hand, like set it down on the stove? Let out a a little yelp. Okay. Uh, Adriano says he would yelp too. But that scream is rather um, uncontrolled. It's involuntary. It's a reflex. It's it's something hardwired, uh, similarly to laughter or a baby's cry. And so in that case, there is voicing, but there's no active voicing. And for decades, it's been thought that only humans demonstrated active voicing among the great apes. So chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, could not voluntarily control their vocal cords. Got it. That was the theory. But that we, very special humans, could. (laughs) And that ability evolved fairly recently, like within the last two million years. A hot minute in Earth time. Yes. But Adriano wondered if this was true. And he used a pretty ingenious device. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Okay. To suggest that this may not be true after all. You're kazooing. Just to be clear, you've brought a kazoo in here for a reason. (laughs) After studying orangutans these last 15 years, Adriano and his colleague Robert Shoemaker, president of the Indianapolis Zoo, published a recent study which suggests that orangutans may have more voice control than we previously thought. So today on the show, if you give an orangutan a kazoo... Can it produce a sound? We'll tell you about that experiment and how it helps us understand the evolution of speech in humans. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics. With vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics. Now on Amazon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Comcast Business. Is it possible to get business internet you can really rely on? It is with Comcast Business. 
keeping businesses of all kinds up and running with a network powered by 99.9% reliability. Plus, advanced security to help outsmart threats to your data. And 24-7 customer support to help anytime. With Comcast Business, reliable business internet isn't just possible, it's happening. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary. Support for NPR and the following message come from Indeed. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash shortwave. Terms and conditions apply. All right, Kwong, you know I love experiments. Yes, you do. And this one involves a kazoo? And some orangutans. Okay, so orangutans are like the reddish colored apes, right? Yes, they're the ones with long arms, too, for their tree-swinging life. They're also very solitary and share 97% of our genes. Wow, evolution. So they're not as closely related to us as chimpanzees or bonobos, before you get too excited, but they're definitely a relation. Like a you-get-a-holiday-card relation. (laughs) I would like to see the Christmas card you write to an orangutan, honestly. But you'd have to postmark it to Southeast Asia because these apes only reside in the rainforests of Sumatra and Borneo. They're endangered, their natural habitat threatened by deforestation and other human activity. Adriano has studied them in the wild, but to isolate active voicing, he had to work with orangutans in captivity. Why is he so interested in active voicing? Well, it's been a polarizing debate within primatology. How much voice control do great apes have? And there's a growing pile of data from chimpanzee researchers especially that great apes do have some voice control. It's not just humans. And Adriano wanted to come up with a diagnostic tool to settle this debate, at least for orangutans. Gotcha. But I imagine something like active voice would be super hard to prove. Oh, yeah. You can't open up an orangutan's mouth and tell it to say, ah, and see if the vocal cords are moving. It's not going to work like that. You could, theoretically, put the orangutan into an fMRI machine to observe if there's some kind of connection between the motor control area in the brain and the muscles in the larynx. But doing that sounds very expensive, logistically complicated, and Adriano says it could be ethically questionable. Although this would be, say, the golden proof We had to become more innovative to try to circumvent this situation because otherwise it would be literally impossible and it would remain an unknown. But then Adriano had a light bulb moment. He realized that a musical instrument could be a way to monitor what's going on with the vocal cords of the orangutans in a non-invasive way. Which is the kazoo. (laughs) You're getting into it now, Sophia. (laughs) So a kazoo, it's a type of membranophone. So whatever oscillating air pressure is coming from your vocal folds, basically your vocal cords, will be mirrored by a thin piece of membrane inside the kazoo. It's a playful instrument in the sense that it's used in parties and by clowns in in circus. So it basically distorts your voice. It exaggerates the intonation of your voice. And the kazoo presented two enticing possibilities to researchers. They could monitor the voices of orangutans, Mm -hmm. but they could also check out their vocal control, so the frequency and duration of the sounds being produced through the kazoo. And then we would have this evidence for active voicing and therefore the evidence that their vocal capacities differ from our own, not in kind, but in level. 
not in quality, but in quantity. So to test this hypothesis, here's what they did. Robert and Adriano worked with six orangutans at the Indianapolis Zoo. Okay. And three of them, Rocky, Nobby, and AZ, can produce, when asked, this novel vocalization. It's like a signature call or sound that they make. So cool. Yeah. Um, and it's something they learned in captivity. And there are three other orangutans that don't have this special call. And all six of them were given the opportunity to play the kazoo. Okay, so do they, like, train them how to use the kazoo? Wouldn't that be cool? They don't, actually. It's important that they don't. Initially, all six orangutans were allowed to freely investigate the kazoo, which the paper says, quote, inexorably resulted in the destruction of the kazoo. <laughs> Sometimes you got to smash a kazoo out there. Right. So they got that out of their system and the researchers figured out something else. They gently placed the kazoo near the lips of these orangutans. Okay. And the three, Rocky, Nobby, and AZ, that had a novel vocalization, they were asked by researchers to make it their distinct call. Okay. So what happened? Well, Rocky, he figured out how to use the kazoo in 11 minutes. Dang. It took me way longer than that. Don't feel bad, Maddie. He comes from the entertainment industry. Okay. He really wants to please his human caretakers. And he has this novel vocalization that they call his Wookiee, like okay. the Chewbacca character. So here it is, just no kazoo, on its own. Just on its own. Yep. <gasps> That's the Wookiee sound. Then Rocky was asked to make the same sound, but with the kazoo touching his lips. <laughs> is that him playing the kazoo? That is. See? Same sound. Beautiful. And remember, the only way to play the kazoo is to have control over your vocal folds. The kazoo will mirror your voice, so the orangutans are able to do that, it appears. Nobby figured out how to use her kazoo in 34 minutes. Pretty good. It's a respectable amount of time. Here's her novel vocalization, which they call her hug sound. <laughs> okay. I think it's cute. All right. Sure. Here's Nobby then through the kazoo. <laughs> somehow, somehow it sounds more aggressive. She's trying. And what about AZ? AZ struggled to produce his novel vocalization through the kazoo. Respect. Um, which the paper says involves a fast, open-closed mouth movement, which isn't really suited for serenading a person with a kazoo anyway. Right. It'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. It's true. So what's interesting, though, is the other two, Rocky and Nobby, figured out different strategies for using the kazoo and got better at it within the hour. And this suggested to Adriano something important, that the kazoo was an extension of their voice. Mm -hmm. And by manipulating the kazoo to sound more like themselves, they were demonstrating active voicing. And he recognizes this is a small sample size. Yeah. I mean, it's just two out of three orangutans, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. You would definitely want to reproduce these results. Yes. Adriano said he would like to see his study expanded. Perhaps the orangutans can have more time with the kazoos. But for him, the important and telling information is that these two orangutans were able to demonstrate active voicing at all. And to be clear, this is all happening in captivity, right? So he's not necessarily saying they're doing active voicing in the wild. No. In fact, you couldn't really do this study in the wild because those orangutans in those rainforests, they have to be given a really wide berth when you're researching them. You can't go up and 
put a kazoo in their mouth. Yeah, shouldn't probably. Mm -mm. But this study does open the door for some really interesting questions and some bigger ones, too. Like for Adriano, he thinks that what he's discovered with these zoo orangutans could say something very compelling about the origin of human speech. That the way we speak may have evolved more slowly than we think over the course of say, 14 million years. And the orangutan is like our long-lost cousin in this shared ability to do active voicing. Long lost by millions of years. Something like that. Of course, it would take a lot more research to identify a linguistic ancestor. Adriano wants to find out, though, because that ancestor is potentially at the root of how you and I are speaking to each other today. When did that ancestor live? How did they communicate? Those are the questions that interest him. We owe a lot to language. Without language, we couldn't keep a society going. We couldn't transmit information or knowledge between generations. So um, it really what makes us distinct in anything that has ever appeared in the natural world, really. I think you're distinct in the natural world. Emily Kwong. I'm glad I have my vocal cords with which to communicate with you, Maddie Sophia. Eride. Mm. Would you like me to play you out? On your new favorite instrument, the kazoo? Absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. Oh, what beautiful kazooing. So you've been listening to Shortwave from NPR. That's Maddie Sophia. I'm Emily Kwong. This episode was produced by Rebecca Ramirez, edited by Viet Le. Plus, Ted Meebane was the engineer for this episode. Thank you, Ted. Ah, the humble kazoo. Such a good instrument. And honestly, we aren't kidding. After this episode, Maddie got me a silver kazoo engraved with my name because she is a very good friend and also a very competitive gift giver. Speaking of competition. Your favorite thing aside from facts. We will combine both of those beautiful things <laughs> in our very first shortwave trivia night. Mm-hmm. That's right, nerds. Come join me and Emily Kwong on hey. Tuesday, June 23rd at 8 p.m. for virtual trivia. We'll ask sciencey questions. You'll give us, hopefully, sciencey answers. It's going to be so much fun. And to participate, you got to register in advance by going to nprpresents.org, you and your whole team. That's nprpresents.org. We'll put a link in the show notes. See you there, nerds. Bye. This message comes from NPR sponsor ShipBob. Brands partner with ShipBob to scale from zero to a multi-million dollar company. Need global fulfillment centers and real-time inventory data? Get a free quote at shipbob.com. Ship Bob. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.